Hello, you're listening to Pride Life Presents, the podcast that brings you unfiltered and honest conversations with the most influential members of the LGBTQ plus community, hosted by me, Saski, Pride host, LGBTQ plus inclusion specialist consultant, celebrity interviewer, queer mentor and coach. Hey everyone, welcome to another Pride Life Presents with our podcast specials. Uh, We're really excited to have all of our interviewees on the show, but today's show, and it's not just because it's the last one of the year, people, but I am particularly excited about this show, um, purely because I think it's a subject that isn't talked about enough, you know, and something that we really do need to highlight. And I'm really excited to share the journey uh, and and have the conversation with the person that is really highlighting, uh, you know, this particular, um, actually, I'm not going to say an issue, this particular topic, shall we say, I'll let my special guest tell me how they would prefer to phrase it. But before I do, before I introduce you, I just want to give people listening a bit of a rundown uh, of our Pride Life Presents guests today because they've been described as an alternative fashion model. They are an award-winning asexual and aromantic activist. I should have left that bit last really, probably a bit of a giveaway there, (laughs) isn't it? But there you go. Uh, They're also the co-founder of the annual International Asexuality Day and also creator of the hashtag this is what asexual looks like. And it is with great pleasure to introduce and welcome Yasmin Benoit. Yasmin. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so good. That was a very long intro, wasn't it? But did you like <laughs> it? I'd like to make a fuss of our guests. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, how are you doing, Yasmin? How is life treating you right now? I know we're going to deep dive into lots of things, but in general, is everything good? Yeah, I'm good. Feeling festive. Enjoying this time of year. I know, I know. And it just comes around so quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, and then it goes so quickly. So I'm trying to make the most of it. Yeah, it goes. But I find that the additional pounds I put on over this festive period don't go so quickly, (laughs) which is always quite a stress for me. (laughs) All the brandy butter. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, now you're talking. Do you know, I haven't had that for ages, um, even in terms of uh, Christmases ago, but now (laughs) I've got it, I've got the taste for it, Yasmin. Um, So listen, so excited to have you on Pride Life Presents and thanks again for joining us. Um, I know we've wanted to get you on the show for a long time. Lots to talk about, but for those who may not know or may have heard or, you know, just need a bit more of a, a briefing, would you be able to kind of, Describe to the listeners maybe what the difference between asexual and aromantic is and and basically what they both mean. Yeah, so being asexual means experiencing a lack of sexual attraction towards anyone regardless of their gender. And being aromantic means to experience a lack of romantic attraction towards anyone regardless of their gender. So one is a sexual orientation, one is a romantic orientation. You can be both or you could be one without the other. Great. There you go. Just as she says. (laughs) Um, And that's the thing, isn't it? I think people often confuse the two, um, bunch them together like they probably do with a lot of the initialism within the LGBTQIA plus uh, community. But uh, it's good to have you on so you can kind of, you know, tell us more about that and tell us about your journey as well. So kind of thinking about that, when did you realise that you were asexual? I don't know. I don't know. Do we have a date and time? Uh, No (laughs) pressure. But do you know what I mean? When did you kind of realise on that journey? 
I think I probably do have a date and time. I think it was I mean, like 2005, I'm estimating, at about 12.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> Eating brandy butter. <laughs> no, well, it was probably lunchtime in primary school, which is how I can uh, estimate that lunchtime usually starts at 12. I was about 10. So I think that was when I was like, it was kind of um, after the summer when kids stops just wanting to play together and started fancying each other and wanting to go out of each other like the hormones had kicked in and it was like not long before we were due to start like secondary school so that's how I can kind of remember it with a date that that's probably around the time <laughs> that it was and I was kind of like okay I'm not feeling the same as everybody else I'm wondering if there's something up here but I assumed it would change and that it would kick in for me eventually. Did you um feel you know once you kind of had that realization um did you feel kind of worried about it positive negative or just a bit neutral because I know like for me as an example when I kind of had that moment I don't have the date and time but uh, <laughs> uh I was probably drinking brandy not brandy butter but uh, it was a thing about I had that that worry and that kind of fear about it so when you I know you would have been younger so probably takes more time to con develop in terms of how you feel about things what was the feeling around it um I mean for me I think I was less perplexed about what I wasn't feeling and more perplexed about why people around me were feeling it because I was yeah. like we're 10 why are we fighting over boys like I don't see why this is why can't we just skip and play together like we used yeah. to do like why has it gotten complicated um yeah I kind of felt like I would always compare it to um Rick Grimes waking up in the first episode of The Walking Dead and realizing that like the world <laughs> had changed a bit and everyone's like priorities had completely shifted. It was kind of like that. I was like, okay, there's something in the water. Did I miss something? So I was more just kind of like perplexed by the whole thing. It wasn't something I thought to worry about. It was just something yeah. I was trying to avoid and dodge and like not think about as much as possible. <laughs> So that's given a whole new meaning to the realisation around, you know, your sexuality <laughs> or gender identity. I'm forevermore going to have um, Walking Dead as well in my head. Thank you. Um, no, but I guess, yeah, it's probably, particularly I can imagine at that age, you don't really, it's just a difference, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, and, and I, th I guess how it is for most people, unless you're told something's wrong, why would you think any different to, apart from just that feeling of what, what is this? Yeah, but then you do get told something's wrong, like not mm. long afterwards, like give it a few more years. And then it's like, OK, you should really be on the same wavelength as everyone else by now. And I was like, oh, really? We're still worried about this? I wasn't, but I guess I should be. Oh, gosh. I mean, so that's the thing. So, I mean, OK, so you're sort of, you know, primary school, 12, you know, young you, you're having these, you've had this kind of realisation and stuff. In terms of, you know, I say coming out, um, you know, the lucky thing for coming out for all of us under the queer community. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what was it What was it like when, when you came out? Was it seen as a big thing or did, did people even, you know, take it seriously for that? I mean, I always say my coming out was largely unsuccessful because <laughs> I feel like if you're going to come out, you the other person needs to know what you're talking about and accept the answer, which no yeah. one did. So I did come out when I was like 15, but no one believed me. And that pattern 
remain mm-hmm. the same for quite a few years. And after a while, I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop answering this question because it's not beneficial for me to even try and use this terminology because it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. to anyone. So I can't even identify as this really, even if I know that that's probably what the answer is. The answer is not communicating anything. And so I kind of just stopped coming out and lived by like a don't ask, don't tell policy mm. for until like university and just became a complete expert at dodging any conversations relating to sexuality or sexual orientation. <laughs> well, I guess that, by the sounds of it, then you're probably going to have to, aren't you? Because, you know, like if it's just becoming more of an issue, um, was it the case that people were kind of asking you, has anything changed or do you still feel like that? Or was it more that you just felt you know, as as when you are coming out, that you, this was a moment where I felt comfortable to talk about it, to mention it to someone or, you know, to actually do that coming out process. I mean, I didn't have any like natural inclination to talk about it. I was kind of like, why does it matter what I'm not feeling? I, I, there are lots of things I don't feel anything about. Like, I don't need to mention all of them. Like, why is this one important? But people kept asking me and trying to get me to have a label and to identify as something and to be able to explain why I felt differently to other people. That's the only reason I had any inclination to Google it or try and work myself out. I think if I'd been left to my own devices, I would not have bothered to worry about it at all. But then when I was able to answer the questions, which people would ask me nonstop, no one accepted the answer. So I was like, okay, well... You keep asking the question. I keep answering. You don't accept the answer. You're coming up with your own theories. And I guess I'm just going to have to adjust to the theories cause, or just step out of the conversation as much as possible. So yeah. that's kind of how it went. That must have been, that must be really frustrating. Do you kind of still have that now at times? Or is it something that you've kind of, you've like you say, you've got your own way of explaining it as and when you want to and you just this is how I explain and say it and deal with it or is it still a bit like oh this again well the thing is now everybody knows so no one really (laughs) asks (laughs) if anything but then it's it's funny because I spent so much of my life trying to avoid the subject and now it's like the first thing people ask me about so in a sense I do still have that that same reflex that I developed over the years where I'm like I would rather not but it is kind of my job to talk about it. So I'm still part of my mind is adjusting to kind of the 360 of going from avoiding it to people wanting to know all the time about it. But in my daily life, I do still have the instinct to try and avoid that conversation. Like if someone asks me what my job is, that brings me a lot of anxiety because then I know I'm going to have to <laughs> go yeah. into everything. Yeah, no, very much so. I, I can I can understand it. Um, and like you say, you've now literally fully embraced it, haven't you? <laughs> like completely other end of the spectrum with it. Um, What was it like? I mean, I suppose what I would like to know as well, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, of course, um, in terms of like being, you know, being part of the LGBTQIA uh, plus community, do you feel that they kind of accepted you as well? Was it people who are non-members or was there a mixture of, of kind of responses around that? Um. I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I went to an all-girls school, so everyone was pretty bi anyway, just because of, like, the absence (laughs) of boys. Me too. So, (laughs) and consequently, like, you know, like, our local pride was and still is where we have our unofficial reunions because everyone's there anyway. Um, So my the people I was around at that time were 
pretty knowledgeable about queer identities, but they didn't believe me either. So it it wasn't so much like, okay, if you're in the community, you have more knowledge or more insight or you're more understanding than people that aren't. And I still kind of noticed that. But like personally, I, I saw the, my first like ace flag at Pride. I've been going to Pride since I was like 14. Mm. Um, I like I very much work in that community. So I've never like personally seen myself as being separate from that. But I am aware that there is a lot of discourse about like asexual inclusion in that. And it's something I only really encountered when I started becoming like known for my work and then it became more of a debate and I found it quite strange because I was like I've been here for like over 10 years <laughs> but now that I'm like known for something now people want to kind of turn it into like a political statement but it's strange <laughs> yeah no exactly and and this is the thing that um I think it comes back to visibility again then doesn't it in that respect you know or lack of um, visibility. So it's kind of like not only about the work that you're doing, um, but that constant feeling of, well, I'm here. This is how I've always been and who I've always been. So why am I still having to, you know, have these conversations? But yet, but yet you do. Here we are. This is where we find ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think there's a lot of division in the, queer community in general like I don't think it's it's not just like you know people are only against asexual people being in those spaces I mean the more time I spend in the community the more I notice like you know some people don't like bi people some people don't like trans people some people only like a certain type of lesbian or already certain type of gay person yeah. and there's like it's it's a kind of a thing everywhere but I think the asexual community we just also tend to get that but I think it's just more of a a symptomatic of the mentality within the community in general or at least parts of it Mm. I know it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, on the surface or from the outside looking in and, I, you know, being part of the community, being a, a, an advocate, an activist myself as well, it's also about people. We want we want allies. We want people to accept us. We want people to, you know, be supportive and inclusive and just let us live our lives, how we are, who we are, how we feel comfortable, you know. But yet within our community, there is often a lot of prejudice and discrimination, you know, not not always. And I don't want to make it sound doom and gloom, you know, there's a lot of glitter, glitter and unicorns and everything else that goes with it, as we know. But the reality is, you know, it's not it's difficult within the community sometimes, isn't it? You know, and, and kind of having that feeling of acceptance um, within the community can be very can be hard. You know, do you feel um, do you feel despite, you know, some of the, the prejudices or the, un, you know, maybe the ignorance, should I say, do you feel like an, a, a, like part of the community? Is that just a natural feeling for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I was just it's kind of lucky that I had a good 10 years sort of of experience before like doing this kind of work. I think that mm -hmm. if I had only like first gone to Pride like this year and started doing my activism this year, like I started getting hate for going to Pride before I even got home. It was already like a Twitter wow. scandal that I even went before Gosh. I got the train back. And if that had been like my first, you know, introduction to being in the community, then I would probably be left with the impression that it's not a good idea and that I'm not part of it and that no one likes me. But because I had been quietly going to Prides for like over a decade beforehand, I was kind of like, okay, I know this is a, this is kind of an internet phenomenon in a sense. Mm -hmm. And it's not 
you know, reflective of like your day-to-day experience mm-hmm. within the community. So I kind of have that to kind of draw from, fortunately. Yeah. Uh, did you, when you talk about, you know, getting that hate, was that from people within the community as well to say like, you know, it's making oh, yeah, it like, to make you feel welcome? Yeah, it was like entirely <gasps> from people <laughs> in the community. This, that's just, just so... Oh my god! I feel like I just need to write in to somebody about this and complain. But you know, no. But seriously, though, I mean, just ridiculous, isn't it? But this is—it's it's so hypocritical in in many ways sometimes. But anyway, alas, we move on, and you are doing fabulous work, and that's why we have you on the show today to also talk about that. So, note from me that you are very much welcome, and just as I am <laughs> part of the community, so are you. I, there's no hierarchy in that in my book. So you know, we're all here. We're queer get used to it as they say (laughs) um so i'm just thinking about uh you know the work you do and 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 you said mentioned social media um you know we know social media can have its ups and downs it can be a really great platform and tool uh but also there can be lots of issues as i'm sure we'll discuss um you know a bit later on but thinking about your hashtag now this is an exciting hashtag and hashtags when they first started being hashtags were kind of like a lot shorter they are getting longer and longer and longer um, for very good reason because there's more to talk about and there's, you know, there's more to to be said. But with your your hashtag, which is this is what asexual looks like, tell us more. Like, obviously, we know what that means, but tell us more about how it come about, why you chose that specific, you know, wording, etc. Yeah, I mean, the specific wording, it was kind of inspired by um, This Is What A Feminist Looks Like, which was a campaign from a few years ago. Um, But also it was a kind of a direct response to people always saying that I don't look asexual, which was the reason why people did not believe me when I came out for all those years. It was purely because of my appearance, mainly because of my race and because of how I present myself. And it's just because there's a kind of stereotypical idea of what an asexual person should look like in terms of like Mm. the demographic and how we should act. And it's kind of seen as being like a awkward white American Tumblr teenager Mm. type of energy Um, or that you just kind of need to be very like homely and like unoffensive and, you know, kind of blend into the background as much as humanly possible and be really awkward. It's, it's, got you visions know, in of, my head visions like in my a, head <laughs> like a kind of Sheldon Cooper like energy um, <laughs> yes <laughs> and so and you know when you try and rely on the media to you know change that they largely don't so I thought why not give the agency back to the community so we could like represent ourselves and you know when you type in things like asexuality you will see what's you know the most amplified thing which is probably going to be more stereotypical and Mm. often you don't really see people's faces like so much of our interaction happens online and you're more likely to see like i don't know the avatar of a k-pop singer than you are to see someone's actual face and when you're in a community that is mainly online i don't think it's entirely healthy to never actually see what people in your community look like so i also for partially selfish reasons wanted to just you know get us out of that habit and actually be able to see people's faces and see what the community was actually like and to represent that. So that was kind of what inspired the whole thing. Yeah, no, definitely. It's important because, again, it's um, breaking those stereotypes, isn't it? Because that is so true, you know, how how 
many people would probably assume. Um, I mean, it was only actually until you've just now said this is what, you know, what the assumptions around someone who's asexual looks like. And I was thinking, oh, I never really thought about it. I, I've met people before who say they identify as asexual and they've looked all very different. So, and then obviously there is you. So, but I, I imagine though that we would fall back into that, you know, very stereotypical kind of, um, and, and that comes again from lack of visibility, doesn't it? Um, what has been the impact of, of the hashtag? As Has it kind of achieved or reached, you know, the heights that you wanted it to? Is it still ongoing? Yeah, I mean, people still use it. It's still very, it kind of just takes, these things kind of just take on a life of their own, really. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, trending on Twitter before I joined Twitter. So I kind of heard wow. about that from That's other people. Cool. I, I put off joining Twitter for a long time. Oh, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> and, I, and I don't blame myself for that either. Um <laughs> But yeah, like I still see, like I see people using it. People have made pages about it where they, people submit pictures and then they share it, which means that I don't have to personally manage yeah. any of that. So that's great that other people have taken the initiative to, you know, continue it on. And I see people using the hashtags a lot and some people have made like unofficial merch for it and everything. And I was like, really? oh, I, mean, I need to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... you can cash in on that. <laughs> so it's been, it's been cute. It's cute to see you know, people feeling like, you know, they can show who they are and what they look like. And it's become quite a bit of a statement for people that, and just to show like what the range of asexual self-expression is. Mm. And have you had much kind of, uh, which I'm sure you would have, but have you had many people within, you know, your community, within the asexual community that are reaching out to you to say, you know, thank you for this, or this has really made a difference. It's helped me come out or, you know, what's been the kind of response around that? Yeah, I mean, people kind of say that for like a range of things, not specifically like the, the hashtag, but just mm. like my work in general, I would get people yeah, yeah. kind of reach out and say that they found things helpful, even things that I didn't really think would be that helpful. And then I completely forgot that I did. People will say that like, you know, that made a really big difference. So that's always, it's nice to know that, I mean, that is kind of like the motiva the motivation for doing this stuff is to try and be helpful. So having people tell me that it's been helpful is kind of what makes me want to keep doing it so it's always really nice to hear that you're having a positive impact on people's lives yeah no absolutely and and again this is why you know we were so excited to have you on the show to promote it even more and just to get get that information out there as well you know and, and hear about your journey and and the positive impact it has on 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 yourself and you know um others what about though you talked about you know and I don't want to bring it back down again, but I am interested. But, you know, are you still experiencing, like, is there any like hate speech or hate mail? You know, because people can be cruel and people can be very just downright nasty, can't they? Um, and ignorant, which is really frustrating. Um, how does it kind of peaks and troughs? Not at all. What? what where it, are we on it? I mean, it tends to just kind of come in like waves and then settle yeah. down and then come back in another wave. And it's always like triggered by really random like things that yeah. I do, which shouldn't be scandalous in the slightest, but then end up being scandalous. Usually it comes on Twitter, which again is why I <laughs> chose not to be part of that website for so long. And as soon as I did, I was like, ah, yes, this is why I thought this would be a bad idea. Because things mm. you post on there can end up in like completely, it takes like one retweet by the wrong person. And next thing you know, you've been exposed to like a whole other audience of people that you mm. might not have wanted to be exposed to. And so, yeah, the I do definitely get backlash, of course, for all the things from my appearance to the work, to people not thinking I should 
talk about asexuality or not thinking I should talk about it looking the way I do or thinking it's all part of some kind of mass agenda or mm. I've, I've heard the strangest things. <laughs> oh, go on. Can you share some? Can you share some? <laughs> Um, I think like one of the weirdest ones was that, which I heard quite often when I did a, a documentary for Sky News, one of like the main comments that we got was that people think it's a side effect of veganism, oh my God. which is really <laughs> weird because like I'm not vegan and neither was anyone else in that. <laughs> but that's ridiculous. like a really common thing Bro. that being vegan makes you asexual, I guess. You haven't got any that red-blooded meat in you apparently in that oh my goodness me so i guess if that's what veganism does to you uh vegetarians watch out because you're one step closer to veganism potentially (laughs) i mean how ridiculous could we take this you know what i mean oh my gosh that is definitely something um that i need to share with my friends and say could you know this i can't believe i heard this Um, But it just goes to show how blooming ridiculous people can actually be, though, doesn't it? Um, Obviously, as a model as well, because we know that you do so many different things, um, very multi-talented. As a model, you know, you have you've got that platform, you know, already to kind of raise awareness around asexuality and uh, aromanticism. more so than maybe others have um you know which is a privilege i guess in itself isn't it um do you feel like you've used that platform effectively um you know what feedback have you received in terms of is there things you think you'd wish you maybe done differently or you know still learning um i mean i think i've managed to use it quite effectively i mean i didn't really expect people to care as much about like asexuality and me talking about it as much as they did it was just something I kind of mentioned in passing on my profile thinking I could just add a little something to the conversation I didn't expect it to kind of become everything that it has become and I think that my modeling kind of helped in that sense because I did kind of have a ready-made audience and I think it also helped to challenge some misconceptions just like inherently Mm. uh, because it went against what people were expecting I think that um I think one of the kind of downsides is that I think that some places like they overfocus on the visual. And I mean, it is kind of part of my message. Like I like to be able to show that, you know, you can dress however you want to and be asexual. But I think the whole, I know, I guess the hyper focus on like, oh, she's a lingerie model and she's asexual. Like it, people tend to use it in like a kind of clickbaity mm. shock value kind of way and reduce all of like the message down to Yasmin is trying to show that you can be stereotypically hot and be asexual it's like I have a lot more important things to say than that but I mean that's fine and everything but it's a bit vapid (laughs) like I could add more to the conversation than that and I do so I think that's kind of one of the uh downsides but I I try and make sure that the conversation is wider than that but I do often feel like people tend to bring it back to that which is a bit limiting <laughs> mm, yeah no definitely well that's bringing it back to the whole being sexualized as well isn't it um and and with that not 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 even accepting um that people how they people identify how people feel and that's your own personal journey you know it's not for other people to kind of objectify you and you know um tell you as it should be for all of us you know tell us how we should be and who we should be um and i guess the media um you know again love them or loathe them you know they can make a big of an 
impact around that as well, can't they? Because you've had a, a, a lot of attention around this, you know, obviously as a model with the campaigns as well. Uh, I mean, you know, international media, uh, including kind of Vogue, Cosmopolitan, uh, Glamour magazine, British GQ, BuzzFeed, BBC Sounds and even Sky News. I mean, the, the, the list is endless, listeners, it's endless. Um, but, you know, do you think that the media could raise awareness around, you know, asexuality and romanticism in a more positive way? Do you think they need to do more or do you think they're okay where they're at? Um, I mean, I think that the the thing is now our media is so just kind of oversaturated with so many different messages. Mm. I think like we're kind of in like a second resurgence of asexuality. There was a very similar thing going on in like the early 2000s. But back then, the landscape was very different. So mm. when it was part of the conversation, it kind of it it had more of a kind of instantaneous impact because there wasn't a billion conversations about a billion identities all the time, endlessly having mm. to sustain a million websites and get as many articles as possible. Like I bet if you were to statistically quantify how many articles are released now compared to how many were released in the early 2000s is probably completely different. So I feel mm. like while there is probably more coverage now, I don't think it sticks as much because we're all just receiving so much information that none of it really sinks into people's heads. And within 10 minutes, you kind of have to move on to the next story. So I think that that's kind of one of the hard things is also that you have to condense everything so much because people's attention spans suck and it has to be <laughs> like 30 minutes or like 30 yeah. seconds or less for to deliver a, like quite a big message. And mm. that's why it tends to lean into clickbait or it tends to zoom in on parts of the message that doesn't actually encompass what you're trying to say. So I think that's kind of one of the hard things about it nowadays. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, again, with all the social media platforms that we have, as well as the TV channels, the radio, etc. Yeah, like you say, it's, there's just too much to keep up with. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, interestingly and, and excitingly, you have a new collaboration happening with Stonewall. Um Tell us more. The, the, the eyes light up around this. Um, tell us more. Tell us more. Like, how's it all going? What's it about? You know, how did it come about? Yeah, so we've launched the UK's first asexual rights initiative, um, or kind of like I've launched it in partnership with Stonewall. It's called mm. the Stonewall Yasmin Benoit East Project. And in its current phase, we're producing a report into asexual discrimination in the UK, uh, specifically in healthcare, education, and in the workplace. Um, because we won't really be able to do much unless we can kind of get like, you know, evidence compiled together and then get that out there to the policymakers and try and impact legislation and mm -hmm. raise more awareness about these issues because there is some data out there already, but there hasn't been anything specifically focused on the topic of ace discrimination and it hasn't been put into one specific report. There's never been a report mm -hmm. into this issue anywhere. So I thought it'd be really important to kind of get that out there. And I approached Stonewall with the idea and said, you know, here's some issues. What are you guys doing about it? And they were like, oh, nothing much at the moment. And I was like, OK, well, let's get on that. And my idea mm -hmm. was that if I did loads of it, then they couldn't say no, because I could just kind of hand them like a almost done thing. And then they yeah. could kind of help out with the rest um, because they obviously they have a lot to do. They're like very busy people and I was just adding more to their workload because I wanted to do it and I felt like they wanted to do it they just didn't really know how to kind of get it started and yeah so it's been great we finished uh compiling most of the data now so we're kind of in like the coding analysis transcribing phase of it and hopefully 
we can get the report out in like sometime in spring 2023 would be ideal. Wow. I mean, this is it, isn't it? People don't realise how much, like you said, there's so much kind of noise within our community and everyone wants a seat at the table and, and everyone should, should, you know. Um, but there's parts of our community that still, you know, have not had that light shone on them. They've not had that respect and inclusion that they deserve. And, you know, as a whole, we all deserve it and we all need to be there, you know, together. Um, but it is so important. And I guess it just goes to show, you know, sometimes it does need to take that as a, additional support and assistance from someone like yourself to say, you know, hello, you know, uh, here we are, you know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of spotlight on our trans community right now, which is really important. And, you know, they are really under fire, unfortunately. And it's, again, important that we all stand together with that. But it's also important to still raise awareness and, and keep the visibility up for everyone within the, the community as well, isn't it? Um, when you think about activism, you know, it, it is full on. It's not an easy, you know, nine to five. And there's lots that go on with it and it can be hard you know but uh how do you kind of you know what does yasmin do for self-care what do you do to <laughs> what do you do to chill and just you know switch off or do you switch off you know what type of person are you around that i mean it's something i'm still working on like i'm not like a big like you know wellness light a candle sit in a bubble bath and like meditate kind <laughs> don't of person. strike me as that type of person yasmin have to say <laughs> <laughs> it's not really anything that like I'm particularly good at doing. I'm not a, a big believer in like, you know, taking thing as a freelancer. It's like if I take a break, I'm just not working. I'd rather be working. So <laughs> I'm not too, uh, not too great at, you know, exercising that much self-control. But I think for me, if I want to switch off, I'll probably just be playing Sims 4, most <laughs> likely. <laughs> I really? <laughs> That's my... That is my like number one vice is probably Sims 4 or reading yeah. a book or watching like Family Guy or something. Or it, when uh, it was warmer, I'd walk around a forest or something. But now it's freaking freezing. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Stay home, keep warm and uh, watch Family Guy. I'm totally with you. <laughs> totally with you. Yeah, I guess people have different ways in switching off now, don't they? And, and interesting as well, you know, how you just talked about the, you know, we talked about the media and concentration and everything being so oversaturated that people's attention span, uh, it's hard for people to kind of stay uh, connected, but also to switch off, which is an interesting thing for, I think, uh, for us in this day and age. I guess COVID kind of had a big part in that as well, didn't it? Because we spent so much time with our phones and, and online and everything else. It even added, although it was already there. Um, but yeah, staying, um, you know, having that opportunity to kind of just, relax and just switch off is is really important um do you feel that um you know socially there's often you know is it is it all about you know having to attend lots of events as an activist are you often kind of like oh gosh it's tuesday and i've now got four more events to go to (laughs) it's very good cause but you know come on we're only human right i mean i feel like for me it's 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 weird. When I'm busy, it stresses me out, but I'm also super stressed out if I don't have anything to do. Yeah. Like I hate yeah. that. I <laughs> So I I'm you. always like I'm, I'm always in a weird state of like, oh my God, I have like so much to do right now. But then if I don't, I'm like, oh my God, what is life? I've achieved nothing. Even yeah. if I did something like the day before. <laughs> so I can never I'm still trying to work on like the balance of being like, okay, it's okay to not have anything to do and it's okay to like have loads of things to do but it's 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 kind of weird as a job because there's no like blueprint for it and so much of it is you know 
being in the right places and meeting people and schmoozing mm. and I don't actually live in London, so it's like 10 times more effort for me to to do that and be at all the parties and get home again from all of the parties that don't end until 1 a.m. So, (laughs) and it's like, you know, and actually getting ready to do those things. Like you're, they see you for like 10 seconds in front of the camera, but you spent like three hours getting ready and finding Silas and makeup and outfits and finding a place to get ready and it's a whole so it does end up being quite stressful so sometimes I'm like ah I should be grateful that I actually don't have (laughs) that that's winding down a little bit now that it's December (laughs) yeah no it's true and I think um you know I understand where you come from on that I'm very similar like when it's busy it's it's which is you know similar it's a constant flow isn't it a steady flow but also sometimes it's really ramped up um but then it's like oh I don't know why there's nothing happening today or this week. And then I'm for me, I don't know, also maybe it's my age, Jasmine, I don't know. But now I'm just like, you know what, get the Prosecco out and I'm on the <laughs> sofa and I'm enjoying it. I should be down the gym, but, you know, I'm having a little chill out time now. <laughs> but, yeah, self-care and, and having that time, there's always that kind of state of panic. But with the amazing work you are doing, I cannot believe that you'll be, you know, uh, clocking off any time soon with that. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's like, I never know what I'm doing. Like, I only get like a week's notice or so before mm. I have something to do. So I'm always like, I'll start the month being like, oh, I have nothing. And then within like three days, I'm like, oh my God, I have all these things, but I just don't get any forewarning. So yeah. you kind of always got to be kind of ready for yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. And it does take a lot of energy, doesn't it? You know, because particularly when you wear lots of different hats, it does take a lot of energy depending on those environments and what you're doing. And yeah, so I do know what you mean. And sometimes it's just... Uh, it's cold outside and it's long <laughs> and it's like but you know yeah you get there and you you know you know you realize why you're doing it all don't you with that as well thinking about you know the success through your activism um, and I know there's still so much that you're doing you're working on what kind of things would you say to date has been your most you know your biggest achievement or what you're most kind of proud of um I mean I feel like I'd probably have to go for the Stonewall one mm. Because I feel like that is going to make a really big, like, long-term impact and hopefully kind of get the ball rolling in other places as well. Like, once, you know, they see that there is research and stuff into it, then maybe other places will be like, oh, well, maybe we should be doing research. Maybe we should be taking this seriously. Maybe we should be tackling these issues. And for me, like, my undergraduate degree was in sociology and my master's was in crime science. So I already had, mm-hmm. like, research experience and stuff, but I never really thought I'd get to use it because uh, my life just hadn't taken that kind of direction where I thought I was ever going to use those degrees yeah. as anything other than like fun facts. Um, <laughs> and so then to get to kind of lead by your own research project. And as a student, you've I've done a, two dissertations now, but you know, no one's ever going to read those, but to actually get to do a report that people are going to read and it is going to make a difference. Like that's quite satisfying for me. And I know that it's going to be really beneficial for the community as well so I think that's kind of my favorite because it feels like a full circle kind of thing yeah well now you've put it out there about the dissertations I'm sure we get many viewers uh, and, and listeners going uh, how do we get hold of them to read you, know, you <laughs> never know Yasmin what this may flag up 
<laughs> but isn't it true about um, transferable skills as well? You know, I mean, amazing that you've got the, the degrees, but, you know, like you say, sometimes you don't realise what those skills, you know, you think they're just going to be sitting there collecting dust and then all of a sudden here you are, you know, using, you know, those skills and those tools to create what will be such a great positive change, um, you know, for the future. And it's really going to be impactful, I believe, with that as well. Yes, I hope so. And uh, yeah, I guess it kind of justifies all of those student loans eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the never ending student loans. Oh, God. I know. I know. So look, it is like the end of the year. It is cold outside. But, you know, considering there's been a lot going on for the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, well, there always is. My God, isn't there? There's always something. But this year it has been is it's been full on, I feel, in particular. Um you know, in terms of your work, you know, who you are, just you as a fabulous human being, what kind of th three things, you know, just to kind of round up on our chat today, what kind of three things do you kind of hope to achieve uh, in 2023? You can say more, but uh, I'll give you three to start with if you want. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a, a book proposal done, so it would be, so be good to get a, a deal on that. Oh, um, wow. People have been asking me to do like merch and stuff for ages. So I feel like we're going to need some like Yasmin Benoit apparel or something yes. at some point in uh, 2023, um, especially since uh, I'm kind of known for like fashion and stuff anyway. So it probably makes sense. And I would like to just do more kind of stuff in person, kind of get back into that, like creating in-person spaces, uh, which I haven't really had the chance to do that since uh, 2019. So I would like to do more of that and also kind of do more things internationally as well. Because I managed to get back into that flow a bit this year, but uh, there's a lot more countries out there to, mm. to visit. So that's what I'm hoping to do. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I want to just take you back. I'm going to hold that thought one second, but I want to take you back as you've just mentioned that as well internationally so when we think about asexuality as well of course it's international global um but, but what is the it, in different countries where you have done talks you have worked in around you know your activism um around uh asexuality um and aromanticism what's the kind of response you know because is it is it something that you know, I imagine there's countries in the world that haven't heard of this before, might not even accept it or understand it, or again, typically being at different stages of inclusion, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I, I only really get invited to go to those countries because there's a bit of a demand for it. Um, mm. And then when I get there, usually people are just really happy because it's not something that they've really seen included before. Like when I was in... Prague in the Czech Republic for Prague Pride in 2019 they hadn't really done anything about asexuality before but when I kind of did events and stuff there like it was all like super sold out and loads of people came and they were like wow I didn't even realize there would be that many people it's like yeah because now that they they're seeing that you know they are included then the people come but until that message is kind of put out there people don't know whether or not they should be you know open about it or not so and that tends to be kind of like the effect when I was in Serbia back in September um, in Belgrade for Euro Pride, it was kind of like a similar thing. Like the aces like trickled out mm. and let themselves be known. But then the climate in Serbia is like completely different. So yeah. they, it was more risky for them to do that. And so, yeah, it's been it's been different in different places. But the conversation is very dominated by like the UK and the US mainly. So mm. 
it's good to kind of get out there to other countries and like see what's going on and just give them a bit of support because there are communities everywhere. It's just the climate and the culture isn't really amplifying it as much as it is over here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really interesting about that as well. Um, so watch this space, I guess. But uh, so now you've given me some inspiration for what I'm looking to get next year for my Christmas present. So I'm going to get the the Yasmin Benoit memoirs <laughs> uh, and also the apparel. So I'm going to get kitted out, hopefully a new tracksuit or a dress or heels or whatever that looks like. Um, if you need me to be a real life model for you, Yasmin, I will. That's all good. Uh, so they're going to be my Christmas presents 2023. Um, I just want to say, listen, thank you so much for coming on pride life presents uh we've really we've wanted you for a long time but you're very busy uh understandably but yeah it's important to to share that message as well and uh we just i just wish you the best of luck with everything you don't need it but uh you know it's great speaking to you and just you know keep rocking on and doing what you're doing because it's fab Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much. Um, and for everyone listening, this is our last Pride Life Presents interview of 2022. But don't worry, we will be back next year. Bigger, better, louder and prouder as we always want to be. So make sure that you do listen out for our next one. But I just want to say for everyone listening and watching, for those on YouTube who are watching the show, um, we really appreciate your support. Um, we only do this because we want to get those those LGBTQIA voices out there, raise the platforms and just make sure that as a community, we are seen and we are heard and we do create those inclusive spaces. So do make sure that you follow us, like, share and comment give us good comments only otherwise we will find you and hunt you down but comment and share and listen from me to you from Yasmin to the rest of the team at Pride Life Presents thank you for listening and we look forward to seeing you again in 2023 bye bye thanks for listening to the Pride Life Podcast with me Saski and my special guest we really hope you enjoyed this episode and found something useful or empowering to take away or maybe even both To find out more, visit www.pridelifeglobal.com where you can find all our digital additions to the UK's leading LGBTQ plus magazine, plus much more. Or keep up to date by following us on Instagram at Pride Life Global.